Welcome to Built to Play, Games Technology of the Arts Inclined. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. This week, E3 is over, and we have opinions. We've got resurrections, reboots, and musings on the meaning of life and video games. And with us this week is Deputy Editor of the Post Arcade, Patrick O'Rourke. Hey. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? I'm not bad. So um, just so everybody knows, what is the Post Arcade? It's a section of the National Post that focuses on video games and video game culture, and we run um, reviews. Daniel Kazer, as well as Chad Sapia, we, we do reviews. We review pretty much every single video game that comes out for the most part, especially Canadian ones. So it's sort of this this little bastion of geek and nerd culture slapped right in the middle of the Financial Post. And so it's been a busy week. Yes, it's been a relatively busy week. Um, I mean, I do a lot of other stuff for, for the paper and, and the website too, so I haven't been able to contribute as much as I wanted to, but I, I know uh, Daniel and Chad have been crazy busy with live blogging with, with every single E3 press conference. I think they did they did a live blog for each one. Yeah, they did. I participated in, I think, half of them, but they even did like the PC gaming one where like nothing happened. Yeah, I think we quit out on the PC gaming yeah. one too. <laughs> and with that, let's get into our first topic on E3, and that's dogs. You want to come with me, pal? I guess the real, that's the real theme of E3 this year. Yeah. It's, it's dogs. Everyone loves dogs. Virtual dogs. We're going back to the age of Fable 2, where it's a dog a... pulls at our heartstrings. <laughs> it makes us feel emotions. Oh, that's not a real first topic. We're going to actually get into um, why the, the glut of game resurrections and relying on a big back catalog. Um, and for that, we're kind of going to first look at what Sony had to offer, and they had quite the doozy. You don't know how long I have waited for this moment. To, to reintroduce The Last Guardian. We're proud to announce that Final Fantasy VII Remake is coming first to PlayStation 4. Today is very exciting. I hope we can make Shenmue 3 for the, all the fans. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, yeah, so Sony announced that they're bringing back... Um, Shenmue, which I guess everybody wanted now, all that, of a sudden. That's the one that I was super excited about. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty pumped to have that game come back. There's The Last Guardian is alive, all of a sudden. And also the Final Fantasy VII remake is happening, which Square Enix repeatedly said would never happen. And also your dog that ran away when you were eight is back and he still loves you. <laughs> um, and also True Joy is coming to the world because of Shenmue 3. Why do you think we're we're kind of pushing back then to these these games that are fan favorites and these massive old back catalogs instead of maybe new titles? Well, I mean, at least in the case of, like, Last Guardian, that was definitely something that's been kicking around for a while, and just Sony kind of has to stop suffering a loss in that project and get it out there. The rumors were for a while that um, Mark Cerny's team, the Knack developers, were finishing it, and now they're saying that he just sort of did hardware work. Uh, into making it run on PS4 and not just PS3. Um, but that's just, I think that was just sort of around. But everything else is, at least the fan favorite stuff, I guess, you know, everybody wanted Shenmue, everybody wanted Final Fantasy. These are guaranteed sales, even though at least the Final Fantasy VII remake is going to cost a lot of money. I think the other thing, too, is a lot of those remakes are, like, still a ways away. Like, mm-hmm. with, with Shenmue, it raised something like, I think it was like $3 million. Yeah, in, it's at $3.2 million yeah, like right already, now. right? And they're going to need way more than that to make the actual game. And then they have to make the actual game. Um, so that's like a long time from now. And same with uh, Final Fantasy. Yeah. It's who knows how far along that is. Well, Final right? Fantasy, Tetsuya Nomura is working on that project, which means it's going to yeah. be at the same. Like, it's the new Duke Nukem forever. Yeah, it, it could take forever, right? So I think a lot of the nostalgia stuff from my perspective was Sony doesn't have a lot of games coming out in the next yeah. little bit. They don't really have much leading up to Christmas. So I think 
sort of playing on this nostalgia factor was a way to bring gamers back into the fold and get them excited about the console, even though there isn't that much going on. And that was, of, I think, like that was yeah. literally Square Enix's reason for announcing Final Fantasy VII yeah. remakes so early because they wanted Japanese people to get like Japanese con- like console buyers to purchase PS4s because the console's struggling there. Which is kind of hilarious to me that Sony basically like deputizes them, like you guys will sell PlayStations for us, you can do it. Just um, just the count. Who here actually like really likes Final Fantasy VII? <laughs> I like I like it, um, but my favorite Final Fantasy game is Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, I think we've I think we've gone on record before as pissing off the internet and that ne- I don't love Final Fantasy. Yeah, VII. I don't love it. Like yeah. I don't I don't hate it. I don't think it's the worst Final Fantasy though by far. No, God no. But it's I not I, I will admit that I have not finished it. I made it like seventy five percent through the game, and I was like, kind of, yeah, just done with it. That meteor starts falling, and it's yes, just like I don't was, care. Was close to that, yeah. <laughs> the the story it, of that game is garbage. Like I think <laughs> I, I, as someone who likes that game, that story is nonsense beyond the first disc where Arius dies. The translation, from what I remember, is pretty bad. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I really hope there's an option to play the remake with the original translation, <laughs> and all everybody has to voice act all those lines and just as dramatically as possible. It's like a special feature. Yeah, you are sick. <laughs> I mean, what do they do with Barrett then? Like, <laughs> you get Mr. T. You hire Mr. T to play Barrett, just uh, in this special mode. Just in that special mode. Otherwise, he's played as a very, again, just a very reasonable portrayal of an African American gentleman. But otherwise, I guess you have to get Mr. T because that's how he talks in that translation. Ugh. Um, but the and as for Shenmue, you said like you were really pumped about. Yeah, Shenmue. yeah. Are you a big Shenmue fan? I, I I'd say that I'm a pretty big fan. I mean, I I owned a Dreamcast as one of the like ten people that owned one back in the day. <laughs> Um, and I spent a lot of time playing that game. It's it's one of the games that sort of got me into gaming and made me want to write games uh, as part of my career. Um, and it, I think it doesn't get enough credit. Like I think it was way more influential than people think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the big thing with that with with Shenmue Three being sort of announced and kickstarted, whatever you want to call it, is the fact that this is something that people never thought was going to happen. Yeah. Like, that came out of nowhere. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Nobody thought that was a thing that was ever going to exist. And and Sony was like, here it is. It's going to be a thing. Yeah, I thought Yu Suzuki was, like, retired or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know what he's been doing for the last 20 years. Ever since, like, the Dreamcast died, he's just sort of been really quiet. I, I think, like, we've gone over this a couple times, but for, for someone who hasn't come across a Shenmue game in a long time, I mean, the first one was on Dreamcast, second one was on Xbox. What is Shenmue? It's kind of hard to describe. Um, it's, it's an emotion. It's sort of like... It's an emotion. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, like an old-school point-and-click adventure game, but you're, you're playing from a, a third-person perspective, and the first one, anyways, takes place in Japan, and it's a small community, and you, you, you like complete tasks and there's like this this fighting game component to it as well. And you collect scrolls and there's it's like this weird thing where you, you get like toys out of a machine. Yeah, Shenmue is like pitched as the Virtua Fighter RPG. Yes, that's, so it's that's like, a good it's way to describe it. It's got the Virtua Fighter fighting system. And then on top of that, it's also and instead of what they took from RPG was the actual element of role playing where you play a person who lives in this town and you run errands and do your job at the, you know, in the warehouse with the forklift and you play with toys. And you can the, the Shenmue's biggest claim to fame was that its world was super perfectly realized, right? So like Grand Theft Auto 3 came out a couple months later and mm-hmm. totally blew it out of the water in terms of scope of the open world. But Shenmue 3's open world is like you can go into every house, yep. you can open every drawer. There are things inside these drawers. You can pick them up, you can look at them. And and people in the town were like on schedules too. Yeah. So like if you had to talk to I can't remember her name, but like your girlfriend, you had to be at this certain place at this certain time right. for that event to to happen. And I think I played the game when I was like 12 or something like that. So 
I think why it left such a lasting impression on me is it was so different than anything else I'd ever played at the time. It was it was totally different. Yeah, I think the closest analog maybe today to Shenmue would be like Animal Crossing. Yeah, yeah. But like to a severely idea. to a severely like smaller like its scope. Animal Crossing scope is is broader but more shallow. I yeah. think. So I don't. I think Shenmue three could totally be cool now. I definitely think it's something we're more open to. I feel like. Stuff that is similar to in terms of Shenmue's detail is stuff like, you know, the Gone Homes of the World, these first-person adventure games. Um, but I wonder I, I wonder if Shenmue, you know, Shenmue, like, this is a this is a Kickstarter. Obviously, Sony has said they're pitching in more money than the, you know, three. It'll probably end with about $5 million. Have, have they said that? They've they said that yeah, they have yeah, said it. Okay. That, that Sony's kicking in more money. Yeah, I assume um, that would be the case. Otherwise, why would it be at their E3 yeah, conference? Exactly. But I'm wondering, like, are Shenmue... Are people are are the throngs of people who are donating into this Kickstarter ready for the fact that this is going to be probably a game on you know probably the level in terms of scope and detail as Shenmue One to a certain extent? Yeah, just because Shenmue One was the game that almost destroyed Sega. Yeah, I th- I think that's something that a lot of people haven't thought about, um, and it, it'll be interesting. Like the game could maybe not even happen too. Like I don't know if you watch the Kickstarter video. It's kind of bizarre and it's weird and I don't really know what Yu Suzuki's talking about in the video and he's talking about like these new scrolls and stuff and I'm like, what are you what are you saying? Like tell me what the game what direction you're actually gonna take the game in. And I I don't know. It's it'll be interesting to see if it if it happens and I hope it does. because um, I mean Shenmue two was cool, but in a way it kind of it strayed a little bit from the the typical Shenmue path and it was like this massive huge world like it took place in i think three different chinese yeah shenmue cities. 2 feels a lot more like they played after they realized yeah, that everybody yeah, preferred yeah. grand theft auto 3 to shenmue they kind of ran that huge. away um but it was not it was yeah i don't i feel like the most interesting part of shenmue 2 to me was that it came with all of shenmue 1 as a movie yeah that was cool that was just weird i really hope shenmue 3 continues that trend i almost imported shenmue 2 uh for the dreamcast because it came out in in europe in english mm. i almost imported it when i was like 13 for like 350 dollars or something <laughs> wow. crazy like that I think but then f- yeah but then i heard it was going to be announced on the xbox and yeah. i was like no I'm not well doing you that. could have just done the thing because the biggest the, my favorite thing about the dreamcast when so when the, the, the day that the sega announced they were canceling the dreamcast sony announced a gd rom burner yeah and the only thing that ever used the gd rom was the dreamcast yeah and so people just burned copies of shenmue 2 for dreamcast i feel like the one th- game we haven't got a measure on is the last guardian now this is a game that's been in work for what five six years it was announced a couple e3s ago e3 2009 actually yeah e3 2009 um and that game was on a basically sold on a promise of forming a relationship with this beautiful creature but that is inevitably going to die yeah there's it coming back, how much of a surprise was that for anyone here in the room? I was personally kind of amazed that they managed to pull it together at all. I was amazed that Fumito Ueda is still alive. I thought that Sony, like, took him out back or something, because he left the company. I mean, that was the rumor, that he had that he was no longer working on this game. This game was basically an empty shell with no team and no one, with a completely different crew working on it. Yeah. I thought, because they, they've, Sony's confirmed that he does not work at Sony anymore, but he is working with them on a contract basis yeah, to, I was just gonna finish, say that, yeah. to finish the game. To a certain point, like, I wonder if his heart's even in it anymore. He was at the conference, and he stood up. He did. He's definitely there. I, I just sort of feel like it's a certain at a certain point, like, this game has been gone so long. What And, and Kotaku did a big thing um, about, like, here's what happened to The Last Guardian. And it's like, here's how it ha- what happened year by year. And it's like, 2010, it wasn't working for them, and so they scrapped everything. And then we jumped to, like, 2014 when it decided, it's like, well, we can do it on PS4. It's like, what happened during those three years? <laughs> I think it got canceled. Like, it I, I think to, it, right? it got canceled, and and like the team moved on to other projects, and then when Sony saw the outrage of of the game sort of disappearing, mm-hmm. they were like, "Wait, we have to make 
this happen and they they i, I can't remember yeah. his name but they brought him back into the fold and, yeah. and made it happen all over again i'm i'm, I'm kind of it, to a certain extent I, I think it is one of those things that like sony realized like they don't have a lot of games going at the moment it's like we have this half finished game yeah. and this team is ready to finish it and we have the technology to finish it now and people will definitely buy it now yeah so let's just do it that was their whole press conference was playing on nostalgia because they don't really have anything coming out so right we don't have anything coming out, but we have all these games you played when you were... With all that, I mean, does then Sony look desperate? Like, is this is this too much fan service? Is, it like, is this like your friend who owes you $2,000 showing, suddenly showing up with a bag of cash one day with all the money they, they owe you? And, like, you're happy to get the, the cash back, but... You're wondering, who do they have to kill to do this? Exactly. I don't know if Sony looks desperate so much as, like, at least Sony's putting stuff out... Because you look at, like, Microsoft press conference, they didn't have anything they had from last year aside from Halo. And then, you know, Gears 4 is this far-flung thing, like, maybe it'll be in 2016. We have no idea. So to a certain extent, I think Sony's, like, Sony looked before like they didn't have any games. And they still don't look like they have that many games, but at least, you know, they they do have stuff happening. So, I, I think it was just, like, a smart business move. Kind of like a, a bait-and-switch technique in yeah. a way. And I think a lot of people... Like, like, we follow the industry, right? So we know, like, what the writing on the wall is. But I think a lot of people aren't going to see that. They're going to just be like, wow, all these games are coming out. I'm going to go buy a PS4. Right. Whereas maybe before, if they didn't play on that nostalgia factor, people would be like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't buy this. Maybe we'll get an Xbox One. There's nothing coming out. So, I, And I have to I have to wonder to a certain extent, like, did, was, you know, did Sony, like, look at EA's thing last year? where EA just talked about 2016 games and nothing 2015 except for Battlefield Hardline and say that could work if you were selling a console on it. Which, to a certain extent, it's not illogical, right? Like, EA's thing was terrible because, well, none of these games are ready for prime time. But Sony is like, you know, we're all super hyped up about three games because we didn't think they'd ever exist. And Sony has the capital to make those three games happen. Yeah. All right, the next topic we have here is every major title, it seems, has a female protagonist in it. Does that mean that AAA games are looking towards kind of having a more diverse audience? Um, we're kind of a weird crowd to, to answer this question. But yes, the, that um, is true. We, we are, <laughs> we are, a, weird, we are a, weird, a super weird crowd, but I, I put this down because I think it is a little bit important for us just to at least like address it and, uh, yeah. as, as close as we can without like trying to sound like we're authoritative on the matter. Um, I do think it's a good it's a good thing at the very least yeah. to have the, the diversity of people who are you can play as that's got to be a good thing just on its own. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's also there's a diversity of presenters at a lot of the shows. I think specifically Ubisoft had a really good um, just diverse pre press conference, which was excellent. And um, and this is a very small thing, but I know a lot of people messaged me. A lot of my friends messaged me about this that the new Animal Crossing game lets you pick your skin tone. Which is a super big deal because in the in the last Animal Crossing game, in order to be uh, any color other than white, you had to leave your character out in the sun to get tanned, <laughs> oh and God. that would eventually fade. And if winter came, you couldn't be you couldn't be anything but white. <laughs> and that was one of those things. Like that is a really that that's it's not a huge step, but it's a very impressive step from Nintendo of all companies. Patrick, I'm curious, as someone who, like, works at a kind of... You work at the Post Arcade, which, like, has the border of a line of both this major newspaper and a devoted games publication. Yeah. Um, do people... Is this something that is noticeable to the outside, that games are tend to tend to focus on, like, these male protagonists? Um, would having these female protagonists make a difference to, you think, on a broader level? Um, well, well, I guess I'd start by saying, like, I think that's really cool that, that that's what we saw at E3 with more with more diverse uh, presenters and and more female protagonists in games. I think that's super awesome. Um, as a dude, like, 
I sometimes will often play as a female character, like in Mass Effect. That mm-hmm. that's often my yeah. choice, just because like I think it creates a more interesting, different experience, and mm-hmm. that's what I, I'm kind of looking to in gaming. But I guess in terms of the second part of your question, um, mainstream news often doesn't care about gaming unless there's a controversy. So the only time that main like I was getting calls from like the CBC to do video spots and stuff about Gamergate, and I, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to talk about it or give it any attention. Um, so like. To me, the only time I ever see mainstream news pay attention to gaming is when something bad happens, like when there's a swatting problem or when some kid that's mentally ill like kills someone or something like that. Unfortunately, so well, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. the, I was I was gonna say in, in terms also unfortunate stuff. I don't know if you guys saw the stories today, but somebody like overnight posted a bunch of um, anti like feminist frequency posters all around oh, the LA Convention Center. Yeah, which, which is, is you know, it's literally great. said "fem freak" or something on it. Yeah, right? yeah, that's what it said because we we can't have nice things, I guess. Well, it's horrendous <laughs> and it's a terrible thing to do. Like yeah. I think that's that's a obvious thing to say. But yeah, the at, at least for me, it's like I was really personally like I and I think we'll get to like games we're super excited about in a bit. But like I'm really excited about Dishonored too, and I was really happy to see that they were frontlining it with its you know with with what yeah. it's got two playable characters and one of them is a woman and they're frontlining that one. Yeah. They're finally that character. She is the one on all their press material, on all their promo stuff in the trailer at, you know, the big Bethesda press conference that everybody wanted to watch because of Fallout. And even and even at the Fallout thing, they had to they had to make a very big, you know, they made a big show to make sure it's like, yes, you can also play as yeah. the woman in this picture. And that was that was great. Um I also think that to a certain extent, it is also really cool in terms of diversity stuff that you can also use their child in terms of not necessarily having a because you can generate a character based on their baby uh, and not end up with necessarily a heteronormative character. Right. Which is really cool. Not just locked into a relationship between a you know husband and wife. And Sony had that awesome game. I can't remember yeah, what it was called. Horizon uh, something. Horizon that looked great. With She was like the coolest character at, totally. at the show oh, by yeah. far. So, yeah. I think what it's if, a great what, thing. Yeah, what if Laura Croft like had a giant bow and arrow and she yeah, exactly. killed Dinobots? Yeah, <laughs> Dinobots. The post-post apocalypse is something I'm now more into than the post-apocalypse. <laughs> I also really like the design on. I, I cannot remember the name of the game. The game that Inafune and Armature Studios are working on. Oh yeah, uh, I remember that, that the too. Microsoft conference. The Microsoft one. That also her her design was just super cool. But that game, yeah. it looked it was just a CG trailer. It wasn't much of a game, but it looked like a cool concept. And again, it was something that they were frontlining. Microsoft was frontlining. I like the art style of it too. Oh yeah. It sort of took things in a different direction, more cartoony, like bright mm-hmm. colors. That's what I like in games yeah. now is bright colors. <laughs> there were a lot of colors this year. I like that. Which is, I mean, not one of our points, but like that was really nice too and i think it's going to wrap up that one we're going to move on to talking about vr virtual reality was another big thing at this year's show um mostly focused at microsoft show today we are proud to announce a new relationship with valve vr in january we unveiled microsoft hololens the world's first untethered holographic computer powered by windows 10 it's awesome to play with the controller, but could we show them something new, Sax? Sure. Let's take our experience off the wall and then put it on the table over here. Create world. It's really interesting to me that Microsoft went whole hog on VR this year because they haven't, like, they didn't say anything until, like, I think the Oculus thing last week. They had HoloLens, which is not technically VR, but it falls under their yeah, banner. It's like, for it's like augmented reality. Yeah. yeah. But like then they just they they basically said we support all VR except yeah. for Sony's first party stuff, yeah. which was wild to me that they just they did that on the E3 stage like we are going to talk about all VR today. 
I think that's like it, it comes back to like Microsoft shift over the last little bit since they sort of got blasted when the Xbox One was first released. They're trying to be this for the gamer by the gamer console, and part of that is making sure that your device works with everything. which which is weird because VR functionally will not work on on that's Xbox true, yeah. One because Xbox One can only output at sixty FPS. But they were saying that um, they'll be like streaming of some yeah. sort. To, it also it all you could because you can stream. Xbox 360 games to your PC and vice versa. Yeah. So if you stream a 360 game to your PC and you're using an Oculus Rift or a Vive VR, it will. This is this is where it gets crazy. It will generate your console will generate a virtual living room, and then your sorry, your PC will generate a virtual yeah. living room, and your console will stream an image of the game onto your virtual television. That's so both crazy. things do the work. Which is really cool, and I think people on Twitter are like, well, you can use that if you're a person, you know, you maybe have a small apartment or somebody else has a TV. And I'm thinking, if you can afford the computer and an, to run an Oculus Rift and also an Oculus Rift, you maybe don't have to worry about only having one TV in the house or having a very small apartment. Yeah, that, that's... Maybe you need to worry about priorities. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing with Oculus is I'm never going to own a gaming PC powerful enough, at least in the foreseeable future, to use an Oculus Rift to its full capacity. So the only VR thing that I really care about is Project Morpheus, because I, I'll probably buy one, I'll, I'll probably get one, and I'll actually be able to use it, whereas Oculus and uh, Vive works the same way, doesn't yeah. it, where you need a super powerful PC. You need something that can PC. run 120 FPS. Um, I'm still holding out that, I know you mentioned that it probably won't work with the Xbox One, I'm still holding out that somehow the Oculus will find a way to work with it. I'm hoping that Oculus will at least work on PS4, because yeah. Oculus, was, like, Oculus was talking that Rift should be able to. There's no reason it can't, Yeah. and Sony doesn't seem to be against it. I think we'll see more about that like later yeah. in, the, in the next couple of years. I think that'll be a thing, um, but we'll yeah. have to see what happens. And I, I guess the question then becomes, like, how much VR do we want in our games? I mean, how, and also, like, what's we've both kind of tried it out. What's your your experience with uh, with virtual reality? I, I was, okay, I remember when uh, Morpheus was revealed, and I remember when Oculus was revealed, and um, I wrote, like, a scathing editorial about how stupid VR is and how, how I thought it, it was it was pointless, just like another gimmick. Um, and then I tried both of them at E3 last year, and I was blown away. And I think that VR is a great thing, and I think that it's super cool, but I think that experiences need to be built from the ground up for the devices. Oh, yeah. I think if you just tack VR on, like, Halo VR Edition or something like that, like, that's not going to work. You need a game that's been built from the ground up to work with VR and I think it offers a different experience and it's it's definitely more immersive because like I know when I'm playing games something that happens to me all the time is I get distracted like I'll look at my computer screen or I'll like pull up my phone or something right and it's hard for me to get totally immersed in a game um, and with VR you're you're in it you're in it and there's like well you can get out of it by pulling it off your head obviously but there's there's like no no way out of it you're just yeah. in it there's a to, like there's a certain I think there was a I think like I think I mentioned like on our last on last week's show when we were talking about o Oculus's press conference I talked about how I think Oculus is making the right move by like all of the games they showed were VR original games they were not ports of games they were they, Insomniac was building Edge of Tomorrow from the ground up for VR um, they've got a sports game not an EA sports game a VR sports game while I think that's a bad idea first person VR hockey sounds like a nightmare yeah um, it does show that there's a there's a vested interest there Sony didn't really show off any particular Morpheus games, did they? That was the thing that kind of makes me worried about Morpheus, is I, I, I can't even remember what they showed, because it was just they like this... shark attack. It was like though. this montage of indie games. You can play all these games, and they showed like 10 of them. They didn't even list off the titles of them. Yeah. So like it makes me think that 
when Morpheus launches, maybe we'll get one game or two games if we're yeah, lucky, and I, everything I have, else is going to be a demo. I, I have this, I have this really bad sinking feeling that Sony's just going to add Morpheus support to everything, like they added Move support yeah. to everything without really thinking about it. And th- that's not what I want. I want experiences that have been built from the ground up to work with Morpheus, mm-hmm. or something like what Microsoft's doing with Hololens, where yeah. they quite obviously have put a ton of effort into building a version of Minecraft that works with that technology. Mm-hmm. So. I, I guess there's two sides of the coin. You can also like tack it onto a game, but it has to be done in a way that makes sense. Well, it has to be tacked onto like because that Mine- Minecraft AR and like that broke my cynical heart. And like this is really that cool. was so cool. They're like this is magical. I wish I could do this. And like like I have friends that made it down to E3 this year, and they tried it, and they said it's the coolest thing that they've done in years. Yeah, I've seen, like, there's a lot of, like, people, like, taking pictures, like, yeah. their camera, on, like, on the lenses, and it just, it looks great even at that quality. I mean, for guys who haven't seen that, it's, like, it's basically a set of glasses, that giant pair of glasses that you put over your face, and you can play games, and you can literally just move a thing from the screen to this table. I mean, the, the opportunity that I saw from that is, like, you could play an RTS, or you could, even better, watch someone else play an RTS in a way that would be a, role, a real-time strategy. Yeah, we were, we were chatting... Or, we were chatting before the before we got here about how we like it could basically like actually make um, esports esports work from a viewership That's perspective. Cool idea. I never even thought of that because you could actually get the because the the thing with esports is that when you're watching them, it's a solitary experience. Sure, you can watch it on a Twitch stream, but then you don't get all the camera angles yeah. and stuff like that. And if you're watching it in client, well, you're alone in front of your computer. But if you get people around the table. You have that communal experience. You have everything around you. You can move stuff around. You can zoom in, and you're with all your friends watching it. Yeah, it's a cool idea. Which I never is, thought of that. It's just you know, it, it's one of those things. I think it's a small thing, but I think it could really you know, it could really work and make the, I think that experience of watching esports a lot more appealing for people. Um, what like what I envision is like imagine a a kind of uh, a place that you go to that you have these Hololens available and it's like hey look the Dota match starts at eight thirty everyone shows up at eight you put on the um, the Hololens it's a short pre show and then you start watching the game with a bunch of your friends. So you're you're table. pitching to me and and Patrick here bar AR. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm not I don't think it'd be all that dissimilar from like snakes and lattes in terms of except everybody's wearing goggles. <laughs> To be fair, it's not quite like a, like a VR goggle yeah, where you don't interact with it's, other humans. It's glasses. I think like that a... would be, it's inherently a more social experience because you can actually see other humans. Ha- have they said that it's going to work with PC? Is that... Yeah, yes. so, so yeah, far we only worked. know that it works with PC. Yeah. It might also work with the th- okay. with Xbox One. I was, un- sure I was unclear on that. I yeah. wasn't sure. Finicky. Yeah, to be fair, I think like Oculus didn't work that until their latest revision where you oh, have yeah, like, the yeah, sliders yeah. I, and the plastic stuff. I think uh, the one that I tried is the newest one. I forgot what it's called. The DK2? Um... It has like a name that's like an ocean or something like that. Crescent I can't. Cove? Yeah, Crescent yeah. Cove. That's that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's the one that I tried. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it was pretty comfortable. Yeah, it's totally comfortable. The yeah. the final version they showed off last week at their thing with which has a like a rubberized fitting. Yeah. Is supposed to be much more like it's flexible. You don't actually need to pull it around. Like it'll just sort of stretch to your head. It's one size fits all, which seems like it solves a lot of their problems. All right, and I think that that kind of satisfies what we're talking about for VR. And then one of the last topics we have is Nintendo. Nintendo had a really weird year this year, including a kind of odd presentation. Nintendo 63. Nintendo 64. My puppet body is ready. (laughs) Hey, Fox, do a barrel roll. Yeah, come on, Fox, do a barrel roll. Yeah. Barrel roll? I can do better than that. Check this out. Back in the day, we had to create everything by hand. To design courses, we would actually draw them one at a time onto these sheets of graph paper. We'd then hand our drawings to the programmers, who would code them into a build. Nintendo 
build, like at the beginning of their E3 thing, build it like, this is a year of transformation, and then they transform to puppets and to furries, which was great. It was adorable. It was really fun and kind of really good in the line of weird e Nintendo E3 press conferences these last couple of years. Um, but I don't quite know. The year of transformation just mostly seems like we're doing kind of strange spinoffs. It felt very much like here, like aside from the new Star Fox and the new Fire Emblem, everything else was sort of like a weird kind of, you know, side path. We don't have the new Zelda for you. We don't have the new Mario for you. We don't have the new Metroid for you. But here are these games. I think Nintendo's in, like, this weird transition period. Like, the Wii U sold under 9 million units, which is, like, I don't know. I think that's close to what the Dreamcast did um, or something like that. So, it's not as good as the GameCube. So. Oh, it's, yeah, it's not even as good as the GameCube. So I think, like, they obviously know that the Wii U is, in a sense, done. But they can't stop. they can't stop supporting it. And they can't reveal the NX or whatever it's going to look like and whatever it's going to be because they need to keep supporting the Wii U for at least another year to year and yeah. a half. So I think a lot of the stuff that we saw were like stopgap measures. Like oh, yeah. Star Fox Wii U looks sick. Like it looks <laughs> so cool. But I don't think it took them that long to make that game. Oh, no, they announced it last year. Yeah, like I think so it's, it's taken it's, like a year or something. It's been a year and it's not even being developed by it. Like Nintendo's working on it, like co-working on it. It's Platinum who's... I think doing the yeah. heavy lifting. And like I think that's four games they're working on right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's like all those weird partnerships, like the, the one that you men mentioned before, I think that's kind of more of the stopgap measures. Yeah. Like, like here, you take our properties, you make this game because... I mean, that's how we're warriors in Exactly, because we're working on stuff that's actually going to hopefully do really well in a couple years. Yeah. So which you're going to work on this. Which is why I think Wii U was, while there's a couple like big Wii U games on the horizon, there's definitely, you know, Star Fox, there's yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles, there's even that Fire Emblem Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah, there are games you know, coming out. Job game. There's, you know, four or five games over the next, you know, four or five big, big games over the next year and a half, but really that press conference is really 3DS heavy, Yeah. which probably isn't being replaced by the NX. No, not for a while. And and like I, like even with what I said, I was pretty negative about Nintendo. I still really like what Nintendo's doing. Yeah, that's like, like, I, I, Super Mario Maker looks awesome to it, me. Yeah, it's super fun. I thought like that, I think Arm and I were chatting, I was like, we kept talking about how excited we were about that part where Miyamoto so cool. and Tezuka were just talking about game design. Yeah. That was because so that charming. happens. Yeah, when they, when they showed like the graphs and stuff like that, the thing that was bothering me was like, they were just throwing those yeah. like, those graphs on the ground. I'm like, why are they not in a museum? Yeah, why are they not on be, a wall in frame? They need to be in a book yeah. or something. There's this, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but there's this like apocryphal legend in Nintendo that when they were designing Metroid, the development team who was working on Kid Icarus at the time went to the cafe across from Nintendo and started sketching Metroid design concepts on a napkin. And all of the original Metroid team says that napkin is at Nintendo somewhere, like in a vault. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, I want to see this napkin. How much would you pay for a booklet with all of those original... Uh, designs in just like in just the kind of same style as like Hyrule Historia that well, that Zelda book they put that out. Hyrule Historia I, <laughs> I also bought that Hyrule Historia and it's like boy this is a lot of timeline and not a lot of like sketches yeah that's of Zelda what I was disappointed with that timeline's totally just made up like it's spliced <laughs> yeah. together after the fact and it makes no sense like they knocked on Miyamoto's door at like two in the morning like yeah. hey you said you had a timeline oh crap you're calling me on this like the what was the, the weirdest thing in that is the ocarina of time thing where like splits into three. yeah where there's one where like link's dead i'm like that didn't happen when they were writing that game that's not what they were thinking you just made this up after <laughs> oh it's great i love that i love that timeline because i feel like they just wrote it to piss off people probably yeah i want a kirby timeline is what i want <laughs> at what point funny. does kirby split yeah i'd pay like i'd probably pay like a hundred bucks for, for yeah one like, i paid pay. 60 bucks for the Hyrule story, you know? Yeah, like, so did I. It's like, I, I would drop that much on, like, Mario 1, 2, 3 sketches. Man, I, I think I would buy a Wii U and Super Mario Maker if they packed that in with, with Super Mario Maker. Yeah, they announced yeah. that booklet that comes with it. They thought, yeah. oh, they're going to put all these sketches in the book. It's like, no, they're just sort of levels that you could make. Yeah, they need to. What I think Nintendo needs to do is drop the price of the Wii U. Oh, totally. Like, it has some awesome games. I would still argue... 
that at this point in the PS4 and Xbox One's like life cycle, that the Wii U, like it has an unfair advantage, obviously, because it's been out a year longer. It has a better library. It has right a stronger now. exclusive, like by, by far. By far, like the best. Like I was just like, all right, just between like, because first year was only Pikmin three basically, but you've yeah. got like, Pikmin three, Mario World, like Super Mario World, Mario, uh, Mario Kart. Kart, Smash Bros, Splatoon, um, Splatoon, Splatoon's amazing, which is yeah. great. Yeah, the game's like, so good. I mean, and it it's like my God. It has any right to be. And considering it's a shooter from Nintendo, it's so good. And a shooter from Nintendo with a soundtrack that came straight out of 1996. It's like my favorite game of the year so it's far, really by far. Like I, I reviewed it for the Post Arcade, and it's it's so good. It's such a good game, and it, and it has a ton of problems too. Like there's not enough maps. Um, like I don't I don't know why the default control scheme is like moving the motion controls, moving yeah. the motion controls around, but like I. You, it's so good that you can just ignore all that. It's it's a great game. It's it's one of the strongest shooters and, and like most original, interesting shooters oh, yeah. I've played in a long, long so time. Good. Yeah, I think like it's a misnomer to say that that game is um, like it doesn't require you shooting other people because I think like getting rid of other characters is an advantage to to not losing territory, but. It's still a game where the shooting mechanic is not primarily in service of hurting other people. It's in territory coverage, which you have not seen in a shooter in a long time, and yeah. is an easy concept. So Nintendo still has like they still have like a good head on their shoulders. Yeah, the thing is that like, Nintendo never stopped making good games. No, they still make it, the best games. Just sort I of, think. They stopped, I think just people stopped being interested in their games, or their marketing just didn't like keep it up to snuff, or something like that. Um, but they or still... their third-party support just went out the window. Well, that too. Yeah. But there, there was a lot of issues that sort of led to, you know, the Wii was really strong, and they couldn't just maintain that audience for the Wii U. And, you know, they're back to basically the GameCube audience, but a little less because they didn't quite support it as much during, you know, during the Wii era. While their, you know, their handheld game will never stop being strong because they don't have any competition there. It's well, just... you, could t- you could argue that, like, cell phones are competition. Like... They, they definitely are, but I think the people who will buy yeah. a Nintendo handheld will always be the that, people that's, who will buy That's, that's always my argument. I've written about it before, is that I think dedicated handhelds will never totally go away. Yeah. They might slowly be pushed into, like, a smaller segment of the market, but they're always going to be there because there's only uh, certain types of experiences that you can create on yeah dedicated portable consoles. And I think even the best example for that is just, like, Nintendo's thing you're getting in the mobile space, someone else is developing their mobile games. Nintendo's not making their mobile games. They're making handheld games because that's no, you know, that's what they know how to do. And I'm I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see what they do with DNA. I think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff. And I think that it's good that Nintendo's kind of sort of conceding and that they're going to start making mobile games. Well, I think think they're conceding to me in just sort of the most Nintendo way possible, which is saying, we don't want this but take our, you know, million-seller properties and do something yeah. that'll make us money. And uh, it kind of makes me a little nervous because DNA, like, they made that um, that Final Fantasy game all that's the, not that good. <laughs> yeah, that game's bad. That is bad. Um, but that game has a terrible pricing scream on top of it. Yeah, it's so stupid. They also made the more recent one, though, uh, Record Breaker. I, I don't is... like that one either. I'm it's, not a big fan of it. I don't love it, but it's better. But, but like, I think Nintendo, they're, they're so, like, on top of making sure that developers treat their properties properly. Like, I wasn't a big fan of Hyrule Warriors, but... They did a good job with it. Like that game's Hyrule, not for me. But... Hyrule Warriors is a not is a functional video game yeah, yeah. that I know Dynasty Warrior fans love. Yeah, and I fell asleep while playing it. But the, but the Nintendo aspects of it, like they did a good job yeah, oh, integrating yeah. the properties into it, and it's not a bad game. It's I just not for me. Ever since the disaster that was Metroid Other M, Nintendo's <laughs> kept a really close leash on their uh, third and second parties. I didn't hate that game as much as other people, but I'm not like a huge Metroid person, so I maybe think that's the, why. The core gameplay of Metroid Other M is fine. Like I had fun with it. It's just that it stops every 20 seconds. Yeah, I guess. To just talk at you about Samus's backstory with Adam. Yeah, that's true. Which was just sort of boring. So can we say for sure that they're they're giving up on the Wii U at this point? Is it clear that they're they're all eyes are on their next console, their presumed codename NX? 
I don't think they would have announced the NX so soon if they weren't ready to basically replace the Wii U with it. And they'll announce the, when the NX is like ready for launch, they'll announce it the same way they announced the DS, which is this is our third pillar. We don't, we, we're not saying that it will replace the happening. Wii U, but it will probably replace it. Like the DS, like the DS is not replacing the Game Boy Advance family. It is merely augmenting it. And it's like, it's definitely, it will replace, if it does well, it replaces the Game Boy Advance. If it doesn't, it was a virtual boy. Yeah, and I still think the NX is, is probably maybe even two years away. Oh, yeah. Like, I think it, it might get revealed at the next E3. Like, it's it's possible, mm-hmm. um, but but kind of unlikely. I think they might even choose to not reveal it at E3 because E3 isn't as big a deal as it, as it was treat, once was. Nintendo doesn't treat E3 as much of a big well, deal. Well, they have anymore. mini E3s every month. Exactly. So, like, I think that's I think that's a big thing that a lot... I think I saw a lot of, like, people disappointed in Nintendo's E3 conference. Like, you do realize they do this every month and a half now like you'll just get more games in a couple days e3 matters less and less every year to the industry um and i think in a way it's smart for nintendo to do those nintendo directs because the spotlight's only on them when you Mm -hmm. do them like i remember back when i pretty much only covered gaming for post media i every time there was a nintendo press conference that would be like two hours of my days i would i would just cover the news cycle for next like day or two yeah because they would keep having like here's a trailer for this and here's more gameplay of that yep you know, and, and people would be talking about it and no one else could do anything. Sony got a little bit into that. With um, the PlayStation experience? Yeah, but they only did it they only did it the once. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna do it again. I was there, um and it was a very big budget affair. Yeah, I imagine. Um, and it was cool. It, it was like a neat idea. Um and I think that it, it it's cool to do those fan things, but I, I don't think that they're gonna be doing one again. Yeah. Like I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think they have like the, no. the cachet in terms of like games coming out to no. do that again. <laughs> All right, so um, after getting through kind of all of that, what was anyone's favorite moments? What did any any surprises? Any um, just moments that you actually enjoyed? Trailer reveals, game reveals, whatever. I mean, aside from the aside from Sony, like just announcing, like we pulled games from the alternate universe where you know happiness still exists and br- and brought them here <laughs> for you. <laughs> The ultimate universe, the ultimate universe in which Spider Peter Parker died, but we got Shenmue three. <laughs> it, like, so it was worth it. It was worth it. it. Oh man, Peter Parker died so you could have Final Fantasy seven Armand. I hope you're happy. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like you gotta say that's a, that's a great moment. At the very least, I I nearly threw my computer across the room in frustration. <laughs> we both freaked out. I don't know. I, I mean, at Shenmue three, like I think the no. entire internet just flipped their brains. Yeah, like like because I've been to these press conferences and I always find it somewhat strange when journalists like get up and start cheering yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. And it's always been really weird. Like I've seen big name journalists like get up mm-hmm. and start cheering, and I've always found that strange. But for the one time in my life in my career while I've been doing this, like I actually like yelled at my TV when they announced Shenmue three. I was like, holy crap. This is insane. I because I never thought that was gonna happen. That came out of like left field for me, and I guess I, I took off my like journalist hat for a little bit and was <laughs> yeah. like fanboying out. Um, so for me, that was the biggest, coolest, craziest thing that they they showed off. And I guess the the other big thing that um, I I guess it's not that big, but just because I'm a nostalgic person and like I have a long history of playing games, is the the rare collection. I was kind of right. surprised mm-hmm. about that, seeing all those games come. Uh, to the to the Xbox One, I think that's going to be cool too. You excited for Banjo and Kazooie Nuts and Bolts? Yes, I am. I like yeah. that game. Banjo that is a good game. game. It is such a good game, and it gets so much crap, and it's so good. 
Yeah. Oh man, I think we might have the only three banjo kazooie that's involved. In the <laughs> I don't. World in I don't know right why now. people hate it. Like I know it's not a traditional platformer, but it's still a really good it's game. It's really well, you and can't... it's a hilarious game. Yeah, like, it's so good. It's an. It's one of the few games where I can say the mechanics were funny. Like the idea of like making a car, like being in this race and then making a car that just had a launch pad and just shot me to yeah. the other end of the map and automatically winning. That's hilarious. It's 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 such a good game, and that um I a lot of people have never made this connection, but you know that uh. That Rovio game, Bad Piggies, the, the, the like touchscreen. Oh yes, it's, that it's, is a lot like Banjo. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing, and I think Rovio totally ripped them off. But mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter. But like Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is such a great game, and like is, I'm yeah. hoping that Rare takes the Banjo Kazooie property and and they do like a true Banjo game. Mm-hmm. But to like, compete with ukulele. Yeah, that's true too. Um, <laughs> but like. It's so good, and it doesn't get the credit that it yeah. deserves. I feel like, to me, like I'm not a huge Rare fan. Like I've yeah. gone on record multiple times saying that I think Rare is a, is a little overrated as a developer. That's... But I also think that $30 for Banjo-Kazooie, Nuts and Balls, and 29 other games that are probably just fine, if you know, like that are like anywhere from mediocre to okay but never bad, is a really incredible deal. Jet Force Gemini is in there, too. It right? is. Yeah, Which is, again, good. more impressive than it is good, but a really cool game. Yeah. I think the, the 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 moment we were most I think we were both pretty happy about this is near two near two, two which is is uh, I believe the official built to play game of the show because no one cares about <laughs> I have never played us. it near is a game near is a JRPG in which every dungeon is a totally different genre like one dungeon is a text adventure one dungeon oh, is a shoot 'em up one dungeon is an action game. Um, and it has multiple endings in that after you beat the game you get a new game plus where you start halfway through and all the cutscenes are different. And then after you beat the game a third time, spoilers, but at the end you get a choice to uh, save your partner character. If you kill her, then you just start the game from, like, the play... Like, you can start the game again as a new game plus plus. If you save her, you give up your eternal soul, it deletes your save data, and makes it so you can't... If you play again, you can't name your character the same thing as you did last time. Is it a Square Enix game? It is a Square yeah. Enix game. That, that was the one press conference that I didn't end up having the time to watch, so that's mm-hmm. probably why I missed it. But they, yeah, that, that sounds super cool. It's nonsense. Like, Nier is a game that nobody played. Um, <laughs> it was so... Nier was also a game that had a different version in Japan. Like, an, it was an entirely different game yeah. just for Japan and one just for North America. I mean, and on top of that, um, the designer came up on stage in a moon mask. Yeah, he was wearing... Oh, a, that's what that was? Yeah. Oh, my God. He was wearing a, a mask so shaped weird. like the moon with a grinning face on it. Like, it was Majora's mask. And it's like a thing. meme all over the internet yeah. now, too. Because uh, the guy, Taro Yoko, never does interviews where he shows his face. He didn't interview his last game, Guards 3, where he just held up a... He sat under a table and held up a sock puppet and talked and moved the sock puppet <laughs> mouth. Taro Yoko is a beautiful man, and he shouldn't be making every video game. <laughs> My my personal game, at least for me, is like I was I was not surprised by Dishonored two because a it leaked the day before and b like we've known it's been in development for like a year now. But I'm a giant giant Dishonored fan. It was my favorite game of the year it came out. I keep replaying it. I really love that game, and I know it's not like a, it's not a huge game at all. Like I don't think it, I think it barely cracked like a million sales or something like that. But I just think it's a re- I just you know it's a really it's a game I love and seeing it another. I don't even need it to be different. I just sort of want more with Dishonored levels to a certain extent. I would be okay with like DLC being announced for Dishonored. Um, but in terms of, like, weird junk, I was really excited to see what the hell that Fire Emblem Shin Megami Tensei crossover was. That looks so weird. <laughs> that game looks nonsensical. That game, I don't know what that game is, but I know I want to try it. Um, what does it say about us that none of us said anything about uh, Fallout 4, aside from the mention of dogs early on? This, is, is it just that none of us are kind of into that kind of game anymore, or, like... I, what, what were you, how did you guys play Fallout 3? Like, is there any residual interest there? I really liked Fallout 3, um, and I had a good time with it. It's a long time ago that I played that now. Uh, I think it was 
I think it was like in first year university Politics or something. Was 2008. Yeah. yeah, so I would have been in like first or second year or something like that. And I had way more time on my hands to play that kind of game. Um, and, and now I don't. So, like, I, I'm pumped for Fallout 4. The whole, like, base building mechanic seems super cool. I'm very excited about um, this apocalyptic Animal Crossing. Yes, that'll also be cool as well. Um, but I, I don't know. I've always... I feel like Bethesda's games are somewhat overrated in, in a way, for me anyways. Like, I think they're really cool, but they have so many technical problems. And, like, I remember the when everyone was freaking out over that, that when Fallout 4 was first revealed, um, the trailer and, like, how great it looked. And, like undeniably it looks cool but like the animation problems are still there mm-hmm. where characters walk around like robots to me it didn't look like a next gen game completely mm-hmm. like it looked better obviously than the xbox 360 games the bethesda trademark like yeah eyes yeah and, and and like the, i'm not saying the graphics are bad or anything and i know that it's it's kind of a trade-off it's like this huge massive world so everything doesn't look as detailed but for me i've always preferred a smaller world that's more detailed and feels real um, and feels lived in than like this massive sprawling thing, and I think Bethesda games always go in the opposite direction. That was that was always my problem with Fallout. It's just like your excuse for this world being empty is that everyone's dead. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but this the world is still empty. And it, for me, it was the same thing with Skyrim. Like I had so much fun with Skyrim with like the random things that happen, and and it's like a great game. But I, I, at some point, it just get got boring for me because like a the graphics aren't that amazing even for back then in my opinion and generally the the quests were like fetch quests like go get yeah. this go it's the same thing over and over again so there's this this massive awesome sprawling world but there's nothing in it yeah, yeah. occasionally you would stumble across something really cool in Skyrim. Yeah. like i remember like stumbling across a mine and like hey there's like an entire story here oh yeah yeah that, that kind of stuff's cool yeah. like that stuff's great but it's so it, it's it's not so hard to find it's supposed to be that's your reward but it's like i don't necessarily feel like going to search for it because my way there isn't very interesting i feel like that's it's weird that, uh, that we all came down to the same side of this and that I am also not that interested in giant open world games that have no focus. Um, I don't like it when, when the main plot of a game is irrelevant. Like mm-hmm. when the, oh, like it does, they say, oh, you have to save the world in like 30 minutes or this dragon's going to burn everyone. But meanwhile, I'm just going to go here and like just hunt a few guys for, back I don't to, know, back, back to Meteor hours. from Final Fantasy VII already, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say though, but you are, however, in terms of open world games, excited about The Division. So, okay. Um, you like games where you touch car doors. Th- that'll get us into our next segment, is, which is if there was a game that you are most excited for in this year or next, um... Whether it was at E3 or not, what do you think? What do you, what are you most anticipated for? I'll get to my shame of the division in a second. And destiny. And destiny. Um, Daniel, <laughs> um, what are you you looking for? I'm gonna I'm gonna push because I already mentioned Dishonored and SMT Cross FE. Though I'm am very excited about those games. For me, it's probably it wasn't really at E3, even though Atlas sent out a really stealthy press release about it. Uh, Persona Five, I'm really excited about in terms of just it looks it's it looks stylish, it looks cool. I'm about ready for another Persona game. Um, I would. I'm interested to see if I can actually sit through another hundred-hour JRPG. Now that I'm not 16, uh, it'll be it'll be a real test of my patience. I don't think I can. Um, but I'm also just in terms of like, and it feels weird for me to say this because I always talk about weird. Like we just talked about how excited we are about Near, which I think is the exact opposite of the other game I'm really excited about uh, in 2016, which is Uncharted 4. And I really like the Uncharted games. They're really well-crafted. They're, they're all set pieces, sure, but they're immaculately designed set pieces. They're exciting to play the one time, really. Um, but I don't ever regret doing those things. And each one of them gets a little bigger, a little more impressive. The character writing's really great. The, the little bit of it they showed at E3, A, it was impressive that they were showing a real video game because Nathan Drake 
wasn't moving. Yeah, I thought seconds. that was cool. I love I loved seeing I, that. I almost felt like Sony did it on purpose, just like, hey, this is super real. It that same thing happened at uh PSX. I think it Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it the demo didn't start, I think, and then also like Drake fell through the ground. Yep. And like people started cheering when he fell through the ground because they were like, so, Oh wow, this is like a real thing that's it's happening. It's so refreshing it's, to see like an yeah, actual yeah. gameplay demo that can go wrong at E three. And that I mean it endeared me a lot to Uncharted Four, and then I saw the game being played, it's like this is good. This is great. I would like to play this. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. Like, I wasn't super disappointed that I got the late out of 2016 before, but now I am. It's like, I really want to play this, and I don't know what I'm going to be playing on my PS4. That um, scene where they run through the, um, they just kind of like roll through in the car throughout that village, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of that scene in Tint- the, the Tintin movie, where yeah, it's, yeah. it's oh, Tintin yeah, yeah, yeah. and Captain Haddock, and just like blasting through the seaside town right. in the car. So, like, there's an energy to that, both the animation and the scenery and yeah. the colors. And the way everything moved around yeah. them. And, and to be fair, Naughty Dog is also talking about how you can actually take different paths through that city you can actually that isn't actually necessarily super scripted yeah. which is neat again it's you're always going to get to the bottom of the mountain but you know how you do it i also and i completely forgot about this and i have to mention this because i'm contractually obligated to i'm very excited about dark souls 3 we know nothing about it i'm very <laughs> excited about dark souls 3 <laughs> all right patrick what what are you looking forward to so i think the big game for me um is halo 5 i'm a big fan of the halo series i grew up playing um Halo CE, I've played all of them. It's probably the only first-person shooter that I can hold my own in online still. Um, and what I saw of Halo 5 and what I played in the beta, and like I've, I've been to a few press events about the game as well, is it, it looks great, and it looks like the direction that the Halo franchise should be headed. It's going to have that focus on competitive play, which will keep the game alive and popular, but it's also accessible enough that uh, long-time fans like me that were never... Like, I'm good at it, but I'm not, like, MLG pro hacks at it or anything like that. Um, can still can still compete, and I'm interested to see how they take the Master Chief's journey to a new place. And I guess the other game that I'm pretty pumped about is Strange that I'm excited about, and I can't remember what it's called, the the Xbox One pirate game that Rare is making. The sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves, yes. I've always wanted a pirate game because I think pirates are cool. Um <laughs> And, like, I loved Assassin's Creed Black Flag. It was, like, the Assassin's Creed and third-person adventure game of my dreams. And I it, it, I liked the idea of Rare, one of my favorite developers, taking a era, uh, one of my favorite eras in history, and sort of rarefying it and making this new experience. And I know we know nothing about it, and I know it was just a CG trailer, but I think Rare's going to do a good job. It wasn't actually it. that much CG, though. Like, it, no, it wasn't? It really looked like a lot. Like, they were showing, like, character, like, names and handles. Oh, it's hard, it's, it's hard yeah. to tell. You know, like It definitely wasn't, like, in real time or yeah. anything, but I, it definitely looked like these are, you know, in-game graphics. Like, it seemed like it was a pirate MMO to a certain extent. Yeah, and I, and I like that idea. I think it'd be cool to have, like, a bunch mm-hmm. of friends. Like, I don't have many friends that game online anymore, but, like, to have a bunch of people that you know controlling a ship, like each yeah. person has a different role, and like I, I, I remember watching it, and I know they didn't show much, but I, it was one of those E3 demos where I sort of let my imagination yeah. run wild and play with the possibilities of oh, what they could do with what they showed. I definitely think, like you said, Black Flag. I think Black Flag could have been. I was, I tried to play Black Flag. I tried to play every Assassin's Creed, and I can never do it. But I, I got into Black. I got like twenty or thirty hours into Black yeah. Flag, and I thought this could be really great if other people were on this boat with me, and we could like actually do something about that. If you were seeing those sea shanties in person, yeah. <laughs> what if we were all in this room? What if we all had a, a just a, a, a just a you know a sign of grog? I, I like the AC franchise, and I think Black Flag was my favorite one because it took the series in a different direction mm-hmm. and like unity had tons of issues like so many problems but there's like good ideas in unity i don't mm-hmm. know if you played it i we play, I played a bit of it i, I, played, I demoed it a couple times yeah th- there's good ideas in it like the open-ended nature of missions and stuff but the game was just a mess and 
I was kind of disappointed that like the the naval combat stuff was gone, and I know yeah. they had that in current, Rogue. They had I, that I, current I, gen one. I never played it. I heard but, it wasn't actually that great though. Yeah, I heard it so. was fine, like it was fine, but it wasn't you know it wasn't a step over Black Flag. But yeah, pirates and video games, good stuff. Pirates and Halos. <laughs> All right, so mine. I'm gonna go with the one I'm less guilty about, and that's um, I'm I really like Firewatch. I really thought yeah. Firewatch had a good show. I love Ali Moss's art. Um, I'm down for um, a game that's gonna be easy on my PC. It's gonna take me maybe two, three hours. Um, I'm going to get through it and it's just going to be a beautiful ride. Um, I don't expect that game to be difficult. I don't expect it to be challenging. Um, I kind of expect it to be up there with No Man's Sky in the sense that like No Man's Sky is probably just going to be a game that I play an hour one hour every day. It's not going to have like all that intensive in mechanics, but you know, like it's just going to be, it's going to be a fun experience and an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I, s- I still don't understand what No Man's Sky is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is what this is what we've 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 kind of come to is that you are going to land on a planet, you're going to explore a fairly homogenous environment. It's going to be swamp world, desert world, yeah. forest world, and then you're going to look around and it's going to be like Proteus. Did you ever play that game? Yeah, yeah. And it's just going to be that. It's like you can, you can <laughs> shoot something, you can touch something, and then you're out of there. You could Sounds theoretically cool. get into a space battle if you found anybody else in this gigantic universe. Yeah, like, like I'm not saying it doesn't look amazing, yeah. and it's not impressive that Hello Games is making it with, I, I think, way more than five people. Like, yeah, Sony's they're, they're throwing. Lying. Like, I, I kind of know for a fact, kind of off the record, that, like, Sony's throwing tons of money at that game, and there's tons of people working on it way more. Because uh, Sony has a lot riding on it. Um, yeah. And, like, it looks cool. It, it looks amazing. But I, I still don't really understand where the game aspect of yeah, it comes into play. It's, it's very much... I think we were talking before, like, I feel like I would sort of use No Man's Sky the same way I use, like, Hohokam or Nobi Nobi Boy. Where it's like, this is a relaxing 45 yeah, yeah, minutes yeah. where I, you know, I fly to a planet, and I land on a planet, I walk around a planet, I see some scenery, I, you know, save and quit. Hohokam's so cool. Hohokam's yeah. amazing. Um, but but I don't think Hokum has any. Like, Hokum doesn't like pretend to be no like, no 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 this giant experience. It's like an interactive screensaver. It's beautiful. So why... and you're, now you're dark James. <laughs> please, Armand, <laughs> tell I, me about the car doors. I left this to the last possible minute. We're running out of time, so I'm going to rush through this. Um, <laughs> the reason I like the division is the same reason I like Destiny. It looks like the shooting is going to be there. Um, I like the idea of playing with friends in a way that is um, organic, so you're not always. Um, you're not always partnered up with them, and sometimes you can be there on a team, and sometimes you're not, and you be with strangers, and yes, there's I'm a very co- excited for a game that has griefing built in as a mechanic. Yes, <laughs> but I like the cooperative aspect of it, and that there are incentives to work together, and there are incentives to not work together. There's an excitement I have because I have few friends that the <laughs> internet might provide me through a game like Division. Like, the thing is, I, I put too many hours into Destiny, especially considering I could never... I got raid ready for Destiny, and I never had enough friends for a raid. <laughs> but I, I, I like that game enough. I like the potential of that game enough that I put in a regrettable amount of time. Um, and looking at the Division... Um, and I was looking at the Division around the same time that Giant Bomb was interviewing um, the creators of destiny saying why did you make this game poorly and i kept thinking man the division's gonna be way better than this i'm gonna have such a good time this won't be a lie and i want to flash i want to flash back to two years ago our three episode our e3 episode when we sat around the table and you were very excited about the division and destiny and then to approximately uh oh no it's about november 2014 where you ranted about how much you hated destiny (laughs) i don't i don't know i i think there's good ideas in destiny Oh, totally. And, 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 and a game of nothing but good I, games. I think the yeah. game itself is good, 
for me, where I, I, why I don't play it anymore past like just getting to level twenty is I, I just couldn't get into the plot of it. Like it's, it's oh, just nonsense. It's, yeah, there's nothing to it, and it's like there's no incentive to keep playing. Really, like you're tricking yourself ultimately, yeah. and that's why I got angry at that game and why I have a rant. Makes sense. Yeah, it's just like the 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 game past level twenty is a Skinner box. Like don't like especially in that before they made a bunch of changes in the expansions. Um. Early on, there is nothing to that game that is redeeming um, on redeeming as like a, a game that you'd want to invest a lot of time into. the The thing is, the shooting was great. Yeah, that's yeah. It is, the, it is the best mechanical first person. Oh shooter yeah, it totally is by years. far. And it's just like I and I only played the um, the beta, and I was playing like this is so mechanically sound. And progression is so bad. Like, progression was so bad then. Like, at the very beginning, like I was like, I'm making no progress. There is no part of this that isn't just a you know, staid first-person shooter, but it doesn't have interesting enemy layouts because everything is just sort of, you know, randomly generated and thrown at. When you first start playing, the game makes no sense either. Yeah. Like, if you've come from, like, playing other games like Halo or mm-hmm. past Bungie titles, mm-hmm. even, like, Marathon and stuff like yeah. that, like, you, it, it does not make any sense. Oh, yeah, yeah even from, like, a hands perspective, I kept, like, going for, like, grenades and I was doing iron yeah, sights. yeah. 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 In any case, I am excited for Division. I will regret it later um, when I'm 50 hours into that game. Would you um, call the Division the Dark Souls of open world franchises? That's it for this week's show. I've been Armin Igvali. <laughs> and I'm Daniel Rosen. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you on internet? You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore work, and you can also find my stuff on the Financial Post website in the tech section and the post arcade section as well. Yep. And we'll uh, try to get a link to both of those in our show notes when you guys listen to the episode. Um... But if you aren't too busy following Patrick, we're at built to play and you can visit our website. That's built to play.ca. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook where I will occasionally post uh, weird pitches for movies that can turn into games like the uh, God of War movie, which is really just my dinner with Andre. <laughs> so we're actually neck deep into our latest theme, which is a relationship between games and cinema. You're going to be hearing more from that for our next episode. Um, this week, check out the site for a list of games that we demand to be turned to movies because I will just beat a dead horse until it's really, really dead. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at built to play and you can follow me personally. That's uh, F-L-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen and uh, have a merry E3, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.